Talk Zone presents Motivation with a Purpose Radio, the show that highlights the inspirational stories of people from all walks of life. Now, bringing you real inspiration, here are your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome once again to another exciting episode of Motivation with a Purpose, where we seek to inspire, to motivate, and challenge you to live and work with purpose every Friday morning right here on TalkZone.com. Once again, I'm Rich Hallstrom, flying solo. My co-host, Zeke Bambolo, is on special assignment. This week's question, what is the biggest mistake women make with men as we explore relationships with doctors Charles and Elizabeth Schmitz, the authors of their brand new book, How to Marry the Right Guy. And we're going to find out how to marry the right guy and the right woman in the opposite direction uh, because you got to answer both sides of that question on relationships because there are two sides to every story. And they are our guests this week. They have a 47-year marriage and are authors and lecturers, and they have spent time doing research about marriage and relationships in 30 different countries on seven different continents all around this big blue marble that we call our world. So it's going to be a great discussion with Drs. Charles and Elizabeth Smits. Now, before we get to that, I want to remind everyone that you can tune into Motivation with a Purpose once again every week right here on the Talk Zone Talk Channel, or you can touch with us on our Facebook page at MWP Radio AM or on Twitter at MWP Radio Man. So become a friend of the show, follow us on Twitter, and find out the latest guest updates and informational tidbits that can help you live and work with purpose and have great relationships. As America's number one love and marriage experts and award-winning authors, Drs. Charles and Elizabeth, Elizabeth Schmitz help international audiences answer questions about love, marriage, and relationships. And with more than 30 years of research on love and successful marriage in the rearview mirror for them in 48 countries across all seven continents of the world and their own 47-year marriage to draw from, the doctors know what makes relationships work. And their website is simplethingsmatter.com. And it's my pleasure to welcome Drs. Charles and Elizabeth Schmitz to the Motivation with a Purpose microphone. Good morning, guys. How are you? We're doing great. We're doing great. Hope you are as well. Doing very, very well. And as we know, relationships can be a very complex thing, complex thing so let me so let's get right to it what is the biggest mistake women make with men well we learned this lesson very very early on in our research you remember that old saying you probably heard it from your mother or from your dad or our teacher actions speak louder than words sure do well, the number, yeah and the number one notion is so many people don't pay attention to those actions uh, they look the other way. They, you know, for example, uh, if I said to you, "Boy, I sure love dogs," 
And then out of the corner of your eye, you saw me kick my dog. See, that's a powerful message there because the action means a lot more than what what came out of my mouth. And so that would be number one in my book is women and men as they're developing relationships need to recognize that who they are is more often um, accurately portrayed by how they act as opposed to what they say. And the second one uh, is Liz's favorite and and really uh, uh, probably was the motivation behind this new book, and I'll let her talk about that. And that's why we call this next one the the most important thing that women can know because it is a woman's issue, and that's they think they can change him. Men really want women when they marry them to stay the same. They, They want them to stay the same size, the same look, the same youth. And everything. But women, when right. they get married, they think they can fix them. They can make them better. They can just improve them. They have that nurturing nature, that aspect of their personality that says, oh, I, you know, that's no problem. Uh, I don't like what he does with this, but no problem. I can fix him. If he's not motivated, if he's lazy, no problem. I'll encourage him. He'll be better. He's got a drug problem or an alcohol problem. I can fix it. If he kicks the dog, oh, well, we will work on that. If he's abusive to other people or to me, oh, well, that's just, he just lost his temper. Uh, It's that sort of thing. You have to pay attention and you have to recognize that there are some of these behaviors that uh, you can't change in people. They are kind of are what they are. And as we know, uh, in the study of the field of psychology for, well, going on five decades now, we know that uh, people's basic personality is formed, you know, at least by the time they're in their mid to late teens. And, and so the basic structure of the personality is there. So people don't change a whole lot, uh, you know, in, in the last five or six decades of their life. They sort of are what they are. And so people just need to be cautious and aware. What I see matters more than what he says. And these behaviors that trouble me, that bother me, that speak to his character, to his trustworthiness, uh, to his propensity for infidelity or whatever, these are things I'm probably not going to be able to change. Charles and Elizabeth, what I hear you both talking about, what I hear is that how we go about evaluating a person's character is what we need to be concentrating on more. Absolutely. You are so correct. It, It just... It gets me excited when somebody really gets it, and you really get it. And I'll tell you, Rich, that is important because so many women don't get that concept. They don't understand. They fall in love, and their emotions get in the way of their head. And they've got to think through it. And in our, um, in the first part of uh, How to Marry the Right Guy, there's a How to Marry the Right Guy quiz. And it basically has 33 critical questions that you absolutely have to be able to answer about the guy that you think you're in love with. And granted, I'm really focusing on women because they're the worst as far as thinking they can change them. But the same characteristics really also go for when men evaluate women. Three questions on that quiz that we need to be paying attention to. I'd say the first, most importantly, uh, and, and I know this sounds really strange, but 
am I physically and emotionally in a healthy state most of the time? If you can't answer that true, you're not ready for love in the first place and you're bound to fall for the wrong person. Getting yourself emotionally and physically healthy. Yeah, yeah, Rich, it's like getting getting your house in order, so to speak. You know, you know, people want to engage in a relationship that that's full of emotion and feeling and and thought and and hard work and 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 oftentimes they enter they try to enter into those intimate relationships with another human being before they are ready to do so. Uh, you know, they've got some emotional baggage that they've got to work on. They've got uh, they 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 can't let go of a past relationship. Um, you know they're they're physically unhealthy uh, sometimes. They're not uh, they're mentally uh, unhealthy, or they have despair, or whatever the case may be. The notion is before you are ready to engage in love, you have to get your own house in order. That's the notion. What are some of the other questions on that quiz that we need to be paying attention to? I think one of the most important things that so many times couples in love before they get married really don't sit down and discuss. And what we found is later on that becomes a great divide. And that's what are my core values and are they compatible with his or her core values? That means what do you really care about? What matters in life to you? I was going to say, if you if you can't find someone in life that shares those values, uh, then you probably should move on. In other words... Uh, if, if you're, uh, and it's not like uh, you know, my favorite baseball team is the Cardinals, and yours is the Cubs. It's it's not that kind of a sharing of a core value. It's a belief system. It's it's a it's a reliability system. It's a respect system. Uh, you know, it's that sort of thing. And 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 that's critically critically important. That if you can't share those basic core values, it's going to it's, it's going to be very very hard to build a meaningful and lasting relationship. And let me give you an example of core values where it gets in the way. If you take a say a woman and she's brought up to be independent and have a job and think about things and and the guy's core values are uh-uh I believe I should be the breadwinner my wife should be at home and she should take care of the kids and she should let me make the decision if you haven't talked about those kind of issues before you ever agree to marry or you say I do you're going to have a real compatibility issue that's going to be a big divide right off the bat. I can see where you're coming from on that, Elizabeth. When should we begin having those types of conversations in our relationships? As soon as you feel that seriousness of the relationship. Obviously, that's not a first date question. However, reading those kinds of questions into the conversation as you get to know someone and letting them talk and do an active job of listening, not listening with the rose-colored glasses, but listening with an open mind for what you're really hearing when you delve into things. And observing their behavior. I, I keep coming back to that. But you have to pay very, very close attention. You know, we're not talking about uh, you know, this is the second date and I've got these 42 questions I'm going to ask you. Um, that, that would be a great, uh, right. as you would guess, that would be a great turnoff. <laughs> it's not that sort of thing that we're asking uh, uh, people to do. What we're asking them to do is pay very careful attention to what they say and watch their actions and do those 
do those two things jive? Do they fit uh, together? Here, here's a good question. Uh, uh, this is one of my favorite questions. I'll give you an example of it. Is, does, uh, have you seen him lie to other people? Because the Very interesting. Is, if he's going to lie to other people, he's probably going to lie to you. Uh, and now, extending that a little bit further, it's can I trust him? You know, that's the key. What are the indicators that you can trust him? We'll have more of our conversation with Dr. Charles and Elizabeth Schmitz on this edition of Motivation with a Purpose after this time out. You're listening to Motivation with a Purpose Radio on TalkZone.com. Back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome back to Motivation with a Purpose. Our guests today are Drs. Charles and Elizabeth Schmitz. Once again, I'm Rich Hallstrom, and you're listening to Motivation with a Purpose right here on .com. And we get back to the conversation. And once again, talk about this character issue and analyzing someone's character has not been fully explored by a lot. How much of you guys have seemed to explore it in your research? Well... You know, in, in many ways, uh, are we coming through clear now, by the way? Sure. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, in many ways, you know, we, we, this is a recurring theme that we've, we've heard all over the world. When you interview people that, that, are, uh, that are, think they're in love, falling in love, and the like, this issue of trust or trustworthiness or can I trust him, and that oftentimes manifests itself by, um, does he lie to me? Does he lie to other people? Uh, am I going to be able to, to, to trust him? Is he going to engage in infidelity at some time, uh, point in our relationship? That sort of thing. So it's really, a, a trust is, pardon the pun, but trust is at the heart of these great relationships. Uh, it's at the heart of the great relationship. And the example that I was giving uh, when, the, when the sound went bad, um, the connection went bad, was we, we penned a, an article the other day for Tango.com, which is one of the websites that we post articles on. And uh, they loved it, and they posted it. It got great uh, reviews and, and the like. Uh, and then they syndicated it out, and it went viral. It went crazy. Uh, and, 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 and the... You know, we got a lot of reactions, a lot of responses, and the like. But the, the recurring theme and the feedback we got was did not come unexpected. It's all of these people saying, "I knew it. I knew he was going to engage in infidelity, but I tried to 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 pretend it wasn't going to happen, and he did, and it broke my heart, and it violated everything in our relationship about trust and." And I wish I had paid attention. I would have. I could have avoided all this hurt and all this pain and the like. We, we've actually had people write and tell us that infidelity is okay, that it, that it's a good thing, and oh, you know, my. get over. And open relationships are great. That's not. We're not talking about an open relationship. We're talking about a relationship between a man and a woman who have made a commitment to love, honor, cherish each other, and and with that. The very, very huge part of that, at the core of that, is trust. You have to be able to trust each other. And, I mean, let us count the ways. There are so many uh, reasons why trust is, is, is valuable. And once you violate the trust, 
you know, do some people come back from it? Sure. Do some people, uh, uh, you know, survive after infidelity and make their marriage work? Sure. Let us tell you, that is that is so far out in the exception category in the scheme of things as to not really be worthy of a lot of conversation. People that engage in infidelity are doing the most horrible thing to their mate that they could do because what they're doing is violating the very core of that relationship which is built on trust okay how do let's take that topic of infidelity charles and elizabeth since you brought it up how do we recover from that that's the question that we get asked so many times and unfortunately now remember we've done thousands of interviews with couples around the world in 48 countries over the last 30 years, in fact, more than 30 years. And we can count the number of successful uh, couples who have made it after infidelity. It just isn't going to happen. And those successful couples have not actually made it and repaired their love. What they've done is they have learned to accommodate and they've changed their love. But example, they admit to the fact that Say he was out till 10 o'clock and he was supposed to be home at 9. The first thought that went through their mind was, oh, I wonder. And that's all about trust. Mm -hmm. These couples, these fantastic couples that have what we call a 9 or a 10 out of a 10-point scale on their marriage as far as how great their marriage is. They talk about undying trust. They trust each other with their life, their fortunes, their darkest secrets. That is their best friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Charles and Elizabeth, how many of these things that we are discussing this morning and, and the things that you have discussed and researched um, come from the fact, and this is another question from some of my personal experience that I've gone through, do we have the right definition of love? Oh, that is a great question because What we see, unfortunately, is the Hollywood version of love. We see this great, everything's passion, everything's a ball gown and a tuxedo and going out every night. And you know what love really is, is having that best friend, that constant companion, that situation where you can always count on someone, and boy, when you're down, they pick you up, and there's support, and there's... You know who's going to take the trash out and who's going to help with the dishes. And you roll up your sleeves and you get through life together and you learn to enjoy life and you in, you really help each other get the most out of life and live the best and be the best you can be if you have the right partner. And, and Rich, here's something we hear uh, all the time. It's, it's, it's really amazing and, and, and it's been a, a recurring theme over the last three plus decades. It, when you say to someone, do you love Joe? You know, well, yes, I love Joe. And you say, but do you like Joe? <laughs> and you'll be surprised the number of times when those two answers aren't the same. That, that people have sort of a magical notion of, of love and that involves, I don't know, sex and intimacy and good times and dancing and, you know, I, I don't know. But the like part is they're your friend. They're your confidant. They're people you can tell your deepest, darkest secrets to. They're people you have undying trust in. Uh, so love 
and friendship in a relationship have to both be there. And they are different dimensions. Uh, and, and people that are just in love. Um, the sexual and romantic part of love versus the friendship and companionship part of love. We interviewed a couple uh, in Rio de Janeiro a couple years ago. They were, they were the couple. Everybody said, oh, they're the couple. of." That's who we had to interview. We had to interview them. So we, you know, they, they're in a gated community, and we take their private elevator up to the room, and we have our driver with us, and we're wondering, you know, is this a mobster, or <laughs> who are we interviewing? Right. You know? And uh, we, we, we started the interview, and, of course, our, uh, one of our questions of our interview protocol is, um, his name was Hector. And her name was Sylvia. And so we would say, Sylvia, who's your best friend? Well, she would name 10 people. And not one time did she mention Hector, her husband. We asked Hector that question. Hector, who's your best friend? Oh, he mentioned these four golfing buddies and these two other physicians that he was in practice with and all this and that. And he never mentioned his wife, Sylvia. See, the notion is you can't have true, deep, lasting love unless your spouse is your best friend. And we have heard that theme from these great couples all over the world. You know, our mentor uh, was Don Clifton. Don Clifton was the longtime CEO of the world-renowned Gallup organization. And they do a right. lot of... You know, they do a lot of product research and that sort of thing, and public opinion polling and political surveys. And that. But what, what people don't recognize that they do is they're in the people selection business, and they have developed interview protocols. You want to you wanna hire a rabbi, they got an interview. If you want to hire an airline pilot, they got an interview. If you want to play a hockey in the National Hockey League and they're get, thinking about drafting you, they got an interview for you. The point of it is they're trying to find out does this person have the right stuff to to be what I want them to be? In the case of marriage, uh, our interview protocol is is based upon those lessons that we learned from Don, and it goes like this. If you want to learn something about failure, study failure. If you want to learn something about success, study success. You'll learn about successful accountants, study successful accountants. Don't study failed accountants. That doesn't tell you anything about uh, how to be su successful. And marriage is pretty much the same way. You know, like that old uh, ball player Yogi Berra used to say, when you get to the fork in the road, take it. Well, right. the, the, the fork in the road here was a simple one. You can go through life you know, doing what we do, studying people who have failed at marriage. But we study people who succeed at marriage. Yeah, or the fork in the road, or we can study people who have been successful at marriage. We chose to study people that had been successful, study people in successful relationships. And why is that so important? Because these are lessons that you can learn, that you can emulate, that you can find out. Are there common themes that are present in things that work versus those that don't? And, and we have found that to be the case. And it doesn't matter if we're talking to a successful couple in Beijing, China, or New York City, or Rio de Janeiro, or St. Louis, Missouri, or, you know, uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, or wherever. The, the people define these relationships in very, very similar ways. 
you want to know something about successful relationships and successful marriages, study successful relationships and successful marriages. And, Rich, that's why we developed the uh, 33-item quiz that you absolutely have to think about those questions in that manner is because those are the key aspects that we've found over these 30, actually 32 years now of research with couples that are really magnificent couples. And if you want a relationship like that, you have to marry the right person in the first place. Were you surprised that you were able to come up with 33 questions when you started developing this research and a, and a questionnaire that people uh, could use to help define the proper relationship? The answer to that is absolutely not surprised at all at this point in our research because we are so um, taken and we, we, we sit down in our admiring each of the couples that we interviewed that are the truly great couples. And their themes are so much the same, we can almost answer the questions for them. And that was the most interesting thing. And I think what you're getting to is when we started our research, we started out in the central United States. And then we went to every single state in the union. We kept broadening out. And then we said, okay, now we know what the U.S. model is. But does that hold true in Canada? Does it hold true in Mexico? So we branched out a little further, and then we said, well, okay, this is mostly a European nation from heritage. Let's see if it holds true in Europe, and we did that. And then we just kept branching out to all the different continents to find out, okay, are these couples the same? And what shocked us and and really was profound in our research is it didn't matter what religion, what culture, what background, the two individuals in that relationship trumped everything else. And that's what was the same, and that's why these 33 questions are not a surprise. And there How are, much... Go ahead. No, that's okay. Go ahead. How much does that reflect uh, the biblical principle that two shall become one in a relationship? Because that sounds an awful lot like what you were describing, that two shall become one, and we're really talking about building the ultimate team here. Rich, you, you are very insightful, because of the seven recurring themes that we found in these great marriages around the world, number one is what you just said. It's this, uh, we, uh, we coined the phrase, we didn't coin it ourselves, but we, we thought the phrase two to tango. Um, and then we came up with that notion by watching uh, tango dancers uh, on the streets of Argentina when we were in Buenos Aires uh, interviewing people. And what you discover very quickly when you watch people do the tango is you can't tango by yourself. The physics of it, uh, would cause you to sling somebody off down the road, you know, that, that you you would end up falling on your rear end because you don't have somebody to hold you up. And, and that's right. sort of, in other words, the tango requires two people working in, 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 uh, in sync with each other. And, and that's number one around the world is two people coming together to become one. But there is with a caveat. The caveat says, you and I come together as one. We share everything. We share love. We share finances. We share a home. We share cars, kids, you know, whatever. But you do not 
sacrifice your individual identity as a human being. That's the key. Uh, that, that that people are not being asked in these great marriages to to just be subservient to whatever the other one wants to, in order to keep peace and happiness and, and all that sort of stuff. Or if I if I love to play, I don't know, shoot hoops or or listen to rock and roll uh, records or uh, uh, DVDs or, or uh, uh, iTunes, whatever. You you don't lose those things. You, you you don't want to lose who you are, your basic nature as a human being. And and so, you know, you, people fall in love with each other because they like that basic humanness about each other. You know, that's what right. you fall in love with. And, and so you come together, you share a life together, uh, but you don't sacrifice your individual personality to do it. And people that try to do that then end up with a marriage that doesn't click on all cylinders. Okay, Charles and Elizabeth, I have a follow-up question based on what you just talked about. How do we develop that team environment and that teamwork? Show us how to do that. Well, we really call that the we effect. In other words, the two become mutually compatible, and there's a sharing exercise in the book that is over a seven-week period. And hopefully before you get married, but obviously can take place after you get married. But the sharing exercise really brings the two together by talking about what they want to do, how their views are on having children or not having children, where they want to live, what kind of jobs they are, what do they aspire to, what do they think about different issues, what about chores, what about duties, you know, the whole thing about all those things you don't talk about when you're madly in love and all you want to do is plan on getting a great wedding dress and have the right people to the wedding. It's instead of that, it's talking about real issues of how do you live together? How do you coexist? How do you build a team? And what we heard that is awe-inspiring, when you hear these couples talk about how they went through life and became better and stronger and did more and accomplished more and felt better because of the person they were married to. That's the key. All right. Now, Elizabeth, I'm going to have you answer this question. How do we keep from losing our individuality in a relation? You know. Being part of it. Now let's talk about the other side. That is the key part because if you have the right person that you marry, that person encourages you. I can think time and time again, you know, now I'm successful, I've got a doctorate, I've had a wonderful career, we we are authors and we, you know, go all over the world and talk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there was a time raising a family that I thought, you know what, I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to finish my doctorate. Charlie sat down and said, uh-uh, that's who you want to be. You have the capabilities. You don't quit now. You don't stop. You become better. With the right partner, and you hear it all the time when we drill down with these interviews we do, there is every single couple talks about how each one of them made the other person better. And they worked at it. They didn't just, it didn't just happen. They talked about what helped them be better. And they worked through how to get better. 
Now, one of the things that I also hear you talking about there, Elizabeth, is to be vulnerable. Am I right on track there? Oh, no kidding. You need to let yourself be vulnerable. You need to open up. In other words, being super mom and super worker and super party person and super, super, super is a real bad plan. If you are with like that with each other, and this has to be super guy and Superman does everything and macho everything, it's never going to work. If you can't sit down and open up and allow each other to gain insight on what makes you tick and the fact that you do feel like you want to quit sometimes and you do feel like you want to run away, and how do you get past it? How do you get past depression? How do you get past the things that every human being existing in the world today feels? That's the other person. That's when the partners work. And when you don't have that, those marriages never become a 9 or a 10 on our scale. Those are the ones we go interview. We hear from everybody. They're terrific. They put on a show. They're not. They don't have what it takes with each other, and that's why finding the right person in the first place is so critical. And, Rich, you hit on a a point uh, earlier when you talked about vulnerable, allowing yourself to be vulnerable. There's nothing in a relationship that's more related to trust than making yourself vulnerable. Because, first of all, you're not going to make yourself vulnerable if you don't trust the other person or if you think they're going to use it against you or they're going to go blab it to their boyfriend or their girlfriend, you know, uh, or uh, talk about it at work. Uh, So so the, the trust part is so important to being vulnerable. And allowing yourself to be vulnerable is the only way to allow your partner to discover who you are and what you what your needs are and what your strengths are and 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 then we all, then as we get deeper into these uh, relationships of allowing ourselves to be vulnerable we realize that that one partner is better at something than the other but the other partner is better at something else than the other and and so you learn that you 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 don't have to have the same strengths you you have to have uh, it works better if you have complementary strengths if you allow people to soar with their strengths as opposed to being thwarted at every step of the way because of a negative or because of something uh, of a skill they don't have or, or something they're not very good at uh, and that sort of thing. And so this, you know, the, the whole vocabulary of these successful relationships starts to change and evolve after a relatively short period of marriage. And, you know, for example, words like I, uh, you become we. You know, me is not the most popular word in these best relationships. It's about right. us. You know, it's about we, it's about us, it's our home, our bills, our children, our, you know, it, it's not, well, honey, that's your car, you know, and well, this is my uh, electricity bill. You know, it's, that, that's not the way these great marriages work. They recognize that it's about sharing, it's about complementary sorts of skills, uh, it's about soaring with the strengths that you have uh, to mitigate against the weaknesses, and you can help each other out a whole lot if you happen to be good at something and your partner isn't, and that's okay. You don't have to be clones. Marriage isn't, isn't about cloning each other. Marriage is about two people who want to spend their life together uh, successfully, lovingly, honestly, uh, being productive, 
living a long life, taking care of each other. Uh, that, that's what these things are about. You know, and I, I just on a very personal note, um, when we started our research uh, 32 plus years ago, I was asked to do a workshop. And uh, so I asked the, uh, the guy that asked me, uh, what's the workshop about? He says, well, it's a, a bunch of young farmers and their wives. You know, farming can be a very tough business, and, and uh, they have to work very closely together, and so uh, ma- having a strong marriage is important and so forth and so forth. Well, having grown up in a relatively rural community, I, I understood that. Had a lot of aunts and uncles that were farmers and that sort of stuff. So uh, so uh, we went home that night, and I said to Liz, would you like to do this workshop with me? Told her what it was about. Well, as you know, the first thing that you usually do when you have a new assignment is you start taking stock. You start doing your homework, uh, that sort of thing. And so we asked the question, uh, of all the, the people, and there were 14 couples, that would hang out together during undergraduate days, graduate days. We'd go to the lake to go boating. We would have barbecues in the backyard. We would go see uh, football games, you know, and do all these things together. Uh, Many of us lived in the same apartment houses, same neighborhoods, same trailer courts, whatever the case may be as we were working our way through school. And come to take stock at the 16th anniversary of, of our marriage, and to recognize that we were the only couple still married, only couples. Wow. Fifteen divorce. Uh, I'm sorry, thirteen divorces, one successful couple, and that was us. So the question goes back to that Don Clifton question we raised earlier: the fork in the road. Did we want to talk about all those marriages that failed, or did we want to dedicate our career to studying marriages that were successful? And so. We worked on it that night. We took stock of our own marriage, what had made our marriage work, uh, and we made that the basis of our workshop a few days later. It was It was well-received, and, you know, uh, fate, life is faithful sometimes. And for us, that simple event of being asked to do a workshop uh, 32 years ago has led to this uh career, if you will, for my wife and I, of working together, studying marriage, writing about it, writing books, blogs, traveling the world. Uh, it, it's been a guess, and it all started in a very simple uh, uh, very simple way. And it has been a labor of love for us as we've, as we've traveled around the world. And it's also helped, as you might guess, it's also helped us better understand our own marriage, our own relationship. Uh, we, we have become very vulnerable to each other. And that's a good thing. And so, uh, you know, I think that's what love and life uh, is, is all about. It's finding someone to spend a life with and uh, working hard at it, trying your best to make it work, uh, and being successful in the end is uh, uh, one of the greatest uh, gifts that a person, a human being, can have in life. And I tell you, one final note, uh, having someone uh, to spend your life with is a whole lot better than than all of those folks you see, uh, you know, the old people at the supermarket or whomever. They have nobody in their life anymore, and so growing old by yourself, as as a, as a friend of ours said, sucks. <laughs> so it's you know, it's truly a testament that love is very powerful, and we'll talk more about that 
with Drs. Charles and Elizabeth Schmitz on this edition of Motivation with a Purpose after this time out. It's time for more Motivation with a Purpose radio on TalkZone.com. Now, back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. We are continuing our conversation here on Motivation with a Purpose with Drs. Charles and Elizabeth Schmitz. Once again, I'm Rich Hallstrom. This is Motivation with a Purpose on TalkZone.com. Charles and Elizabeth, I want you to talk more about the effect this research and all the books and all the seminars and all the speaking engagements has had on your own marriage. And uh, just just tell me what it means to you because so far I've been really inspired this morning to hear about how uh, you both seem to be in love more with each other in year number 47 than in year number one. And you've been able to share that same kind of love with everybody that you meet through all of your interactions. You know, it's absolutely true. When we first got married, we thought we loved each other. We thought we found the right person. But at year 47, we so know we found the right person. And we were so fortunate in as little as we knew to begin with. And I think that's why we're so committed to sharing with our audiences and through books. And, you know, it's why we wrote How to Marry the Right Guy is because we really want people to be able to find the right partner, to be able to go through life feeling supported, feeling that they have a, a partner, someone to, you know, it's like that, that kindergarten story. Hold hands when you cross the street. You know, know that those are the simple things in life, and that's why our our website is Simple Things Matter, because it is the simple things that matter. It's the day in and the day out life struggles that you go through, and it's the day in and day out simple things that your best friend, the person that you're married to, the person that you're in love with, does for you each day, and how you are supported and enhanced and made better because of it. And I think what struck me the most is when we started these interviews, and especially when we started the international interviews and did it with translators, we could start writing the answers after five minutes with a great couple wow. before they would even translate it. We had one translator get mad at us in France because I was writing before she was translating. And we had to stop the interview, and I said, no, this is what she said. She said, but how did you know? You speak French. You don't need me. I said, no, I don't speak French. But what I know is her reaction, her facial tone, how she grabbed her husband on the knee. I knew exactly what she was saying. We've heard it thousands of times before. And it just makes you just so appreciate the power of a great marriage and making a great life. And you can imagine, Rich, how, how much... How much fun, you hit the nail on the head, how much fun we have had doing all these things together. You know, we, we, we write together, we blog together, we post together, we travel together, we, you know, it, and, and, and it's been, 
fun. It, it's not only strengthened our relationship with each other, it's reinforced many uh, uh, of, of the the strengths of our own uh, marriage. We, we It's helped us become better uh, at, at love and marriage. And so, you know, uh, we have reached uh, in our own life with each other what, what we like to call the nirvana of our uh, love, that, that we, uh, we, we built a love, we built it over a lifetime together, uh, we, we share with each other, we work hard together, uh, we enjoy each other's company. In fact, we'd rather be with each other probably than anybody on the planet. Uh, not probably, I know for a fact that would be the case. And, and so, you know, when you reach a point, and, and this is one of the interview questions that we have in our uh, interview protocol, we, we usually ask this question towards the end of the interview. And uh, and here's the thing, by the way, there there are uh, nonverbals that, that you see with people that tell you a lot about them. I gave the early example: if you kick the dog, that tells you a lot about that person. Um, well, if if a couple you're interviewing sits on opposite sides of the room, that tells that tells you something about that relationship. The, the, you can you can absolutely mark your book by the following: the most successfully married couples we've interviewed. They sit next to each other. They sit on the love seat. They sit next to each other if we happen to interview them in a restaurant. They sit next to each other on the couch, the love seat. Uh, they pull two chairs together. They hold hands. They touch each other. That's Those are the nonverbals that matter. And then when, when we get to this question, which is about three or four from the end of the protocol, we'll say, uh, Rich, can you imagine life without... Susie. Right. And, and it's always, it, it's almost always the same response. First, there's silence. You know, that pregnant pause, as they used to say. That deafening silence that we've all probably seen in school or some other place. Yeah. Then you see them start to reach for each other, to touch each other's knee or hand or you know, gently uh, rub a, ba- a hand on a back, or and then you, and then you watch the eyes, and the eyes start to mist up. They start to welt up with tears, and 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 all these nonverbals tell you immediately what the answer is going to be to the question: Can you imagine life without Susie? And the answer is always no. I can't imagine. You reach that point in these best loving relationships, these most successful marriages around the world. They can't imagine it. And, 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 you know, and the sad part of it is, and death is such a wasteful thing, but couples are often separated by death at the end, uh, towards the end of their lives. And that's, that's too bad. You know, you've spent 50, 60, we've interviewed people who've been married up to 77 years. Can you imagine what it was like for one of the, for that partner that survived? Can you imagine what happened to them? Uh, wow! He died two weeks later because of the loneliness. They, they two people truly have become one, and that's the kind of relationships that we have observed and interviewed around the world. And and always keep in mind the best marriages are not about just uh, not just about longevity. We started our first book was called Golden Anniversaries, and we interviewed people that had been married 30 or more years. 
That, that was our threshold, 30 or more years, because we really wanted to know something about uh, longevity. But we quickly learned that some of these long marriages were not happy marriages. Uh, people lived together because they didn't have any other alternative, or it was an economic issue, or it would have been too embarrassing to, to get a divorce, or whatever the case may be. And so we quickly learned we've got to find out from these most successfully married couples what makes their marriage successful, and are there common themes? And the answer is yes, there were and there are, and and. Uh, and, and so if you see these common themes in people, then you know it's not only a long marriage, it's a great marriage. And those uh, are the people that we've emulated. Those are the people that we, that we write about, if you will. Uh, I, you know, we, we, uh, when we have the 33 questions of uh, how to know if you're going to marry the right guy or not, those are based upon these interviews with these successfully uh, married couples around the world. We, we we always say we know of which we speak because we've heard it over and over and over from these great couples. So it's uh, in our remaining moments of the show, Charles and Elizabeth. I want to ask this one this one pointed question in a personal way. What is the biggest challenge that you feel? that both of you have had to overcome in your 47-year marriage, and how did you do it? Uh, losing a child, and uh, gosh, we did it together. Uh, it was terrible every day and terrible every day after, and it's called support. It's called love. It's called friendship. And the question you raised is, is a really, really good question because so often people think that long-time successfully married couples live in some sort of a la-la land, you know, that, that, that everything is hunky-dory all the time. Hey, trust us, these most successfully married couples tell some of the saddest stories. Yeah. Uh, gut wrenching uh, about obstacles they had to overcome. They be, people have lost children. They've lost jobs. They had to be transferred to a part of the country they didn't want to go to. Terrible physical ailments. Physical ailments, mental ailments. They've had falling outs with their kids. Uh, you know, and and the list goes on and on. They they they've had to overcome terrible diseases and and you know the but they will tell you. So all of those obstacles, all those painful moments in their marriage together made them stronger. It made their marriage better. And and that's really the key. As my mother used to say, they made a silk purse out of a sow's ear. You know, they they made it work because they worked hard. They did the simple things. They loved each other uh, unconditionally. And uh, that's the way... These best marriages were, but they have not lived in a while on that. In our remaining moments, Charles and Elizabeth, tell us how we can get the book and how to keep in touch with you guys and how to learn more about your well, research. We put a uh, link on our website, simplethingsmatter.com, right on the home page for radio listeners uh, like your audience so that they can get the book at a large discount and also get the publisher is giving them Building a Love That Lasts. Uh, our award-winning book with it free. So that's a great deal. And that's the easiest way. If they prefer, they can go to Amazon.com. It's there or bookstores. And it's How to Marry the Right Guy. 
That's ex- excellent. Our guests on Motivation with a Purpose this week have been Drs. Charles and Elizabeth Schmitz. Thanks to them. You have been listening to Motivation with a Purpose right here on Talk Zone. I'm Rich Hallstrom telling you to live and work with purpose and join us once again for Motivation with a Purpose on TalkZone.com. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you.